0: amen what a wonderful time of worship wow and I just I guess because of this chapter I'm just so aware of how thankful in, in preparing for tonight just how thankful I am that there was a time in my life where I asked Jesus to be my Savior and that I'm never gonna have to go through what these folks who continually reject Jesus are going to have to go through one day in spite of the love that he wants to show them and And I know you feel that way, too. And I think if you and I walk away from tonight just so thankful that we know the Lord and maybe even more burden for those that don't know the Lord and and asking the Lord to give us opportunity to share the gospel or to be a light to those that don't know the Lord, that 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 that's going to hit the mark. Because I think a chapter like this really heightens our awareness of those two things making us more appreciative of our own salvation and, and making us more burdened for the lost who don't know Jesus, and that Jesus is just holding out coming to, to give us a little bit more of an opportunity maybe to, to be a light and share the gospel with those that don't know. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn, please turn to Revelation chapter 16. This chapter is all about Judgment Day finally coming to the earth. God is getting ready to pour out the final bowls of wrath. And even as I think about that, I'm reminded that the Bible tells us that as the children of God, we were not destined for wrath. Everything that's going to happen at this time in history was not what God ever intended for his own children to go through, but only those who just continually reject and refuse the grace of God found in Jesus Christ. And again, as I said, even before our time of worship, let's remember something. As we go through this chapter, we're going to see the angels commanded by God to pour out the bowls containing God's wrath upon the earth, that Judgment Day is finally here after all these years, and that as God pours out his wrath upon the earth, that before that day ever came, God poured out his wrath upon his son on the cross to satisfy his holiness. Because as a holy God that we just sung about, sin must be dealt with, or else God cannot be holy. And so either we have to pay for our own sin, or we accept Christ who becomes the payment for our sin. Only one of two choices. And we're going to see also tonight in this chapter, once again, the hardness of the human heart, that if mercy did not bring them to Christ, neither does judgment. Many of them will still refuse, even after all that they go through, to soften their heart and to turn to the only one that can save them. They remain hardened in their sin and hardened in their unbelief. So, let's look at it tonight, beginning, first of all, in the first two verses where we see God first will send a plague. Then I heard, John says, a loud voice from the temple, and I believe that where this voice is coming from, that this is none other than God's voice, because it's coming from the place, the temple, where God's presence is manifested. And he declares to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath, God's just judgment. Now, I'm going to get a little out of turn here, but one of the main things that John needs to see in this judgment, and that you and I need to see in this judgment is that God is just and righteous in what he's doing. And that's going to be emphasized in this chapter because even as Christians, even as followers of God, we can come to a chapter like Revelation 16 and go, God, do you really need to do that? Yeah. God is just. And even as Nicole was praying about You know, us being able to rest and trust in God, we've got to trust Him in these things too, in how He handles and deals with sin and sinners and unbelief and all of that. Because here's the deal just like many times when God came and judgment in the Old Testament, God gave those people years upon years to repent and turn from their sin. So finally, by the time God's judgment came, they had so many opportunities. And they kept saying no. And then you think about Noah. And all those years that Noah was building the ark, that those people could have accepted what Noah was saying as the preacher of righteousness before judgment fell and believed in the word of God through Noah. But they continued to persist in their unbelief, and they said no. So finally God said Fine, I'm going to send the animals into the ark. Noah, you and your family get in there, and I'm going to shut the door. And it was God who shut the door, and it was God who said, no more opportunity. And that's what we're going to see tonight. After thousands of years where God said, man, you can do what you want to do. You can do it your way. There's coming a day where God is going to say, no more now, man, doing it your way. Now it's going to be my way. Now it's going to be my kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And notice something. What happens in heaven affects those of us on earth because what is happening on earth first started in heaven. You think about that even today. I think about that even every Sunday and Wednesday, that what happens here, even at the oasis, started in heaven. When God moves in heaven, God also is moving on the earth. And that's what we see in Revelation chapter 16. So the first angel, verse 2, went and poured out his bowl on the earth then ugly and painful sores boils ulcers abscesses appeared on oh, notice the unbelieving people because notice that they are they are picked out here it's not upon the believers it's upon only those people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped the image of the beast God will spare those who come to believe in Christ during even the tribulation. He will separate because, again, the Bible says he knows how to judge the ungodly and how to reserve the righteous until the day of judgment. He he knows how to separate. He knows how to separate the the wheat from the the chaff. He knows how to do that. He knows how to, as he did in Sodom and Gomorrah, to bring out those that were right with him and then to judge the rest. He knows how to do that. He knows every person. He knows us down to every detail. And so the first bowl is that God will send a very painful plague upon those that worship the beast. The second bowl, God will destroy the seas. And as we go down through these bold judgments, I'm not going to necessarily go down through it, but I just want to encourage you to come back as always and and sort of contemplate and consider and meditate upon the Scripture yourself and even think through the ramifications and the consequences of what each of these judgments mean. Because we can just sort of read through it and not really realize the magnitude, if you will, of what's taking place here. First of all, in the first bowl, these sores, these boils, these ulcers are going to be very, very painful and very, very uncomfortable. And then in the second bowl, he pours it out on the sea, and the sea is turned into blood like that of a corpse. This parallels even the judgment in Exodus, right, of Pharaoh in the Egyptian kingdom, where the waters of the Nile were turned to Blood. But think about it. In this judgment, think about the magnitude. This is upon all the sea, all the ocean water on the planet. That is 70% of the planet is water. 70% of the earth is water. And God is going to judge the waters. And he's going to turn the sea into blood. And because of that, notice, every living creature that is in the sea is going to die. Marine life as we know it will be wiped out. The ocean will literally coagulate. And they won't be able to breathe underwater any longer. Why is God judging in this way? Well, remember... This is God's creation to begin with. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's the one that created it, and now he's going to judge it. And yet we're going to see that right after the tribulation period that there's going to be a a momentary time where God is going to renew, not create a new heaven and a new earth yet. That comes after the millennial kingdom. But he is going to, in a sense, renew the damage that's going to be done during the seven-year tribulation with his judgments upon the earth, and he's going to renew and restore it to some degree so that we can enjoy it for that thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And then at the end of that, he will then finally destroy the earth and will create a new heaven and a new earth. So the earth and, and, and all that is in it, it's in God's hands, and he's going to take care of it, and he's got a purpose, and he's got a plan for it, and he has the right to judge it because he's the one that Created it in the first place. The third bowl comes in verse 4. And now God is going to ruin the springs of water on the earth. The third angel poured out the bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they also turned to blood. Think about it. Water for every use is going to be in very short supply water to drink, water to bathe, water to cleanse, you name it, all the uses. You know, we take water for granted, although even living in the desert, maybe not so much, uh, compared to other people around the world in different places. But most human beings take water for granted. Water is going to be in very short supply towards the end of the tribulation period when the bold judgments come. And then notice verse 5. It's almost like God pauses here Because this message is needed. Because as we, again, begin to think about the judgment that's coming one day upon the earth and the earth dwellers, it's like, oh, God, do you need to do it? And notice, I heard the angel of the waters saying, verse 5, God, you are just. You are right in doing what you're doing. You are correct in doing what you're doing. So one of the things you and I have to realize is his judgment is righteous judgment. It's the right thing to do because God doesn't do anything wrong. God always does what is right. And again, I want to emphasize, before this day ever comes upon planet Earth... God has given mankind thousands of years to do it his way and thousands of years of opportunity to come to him, to know him, to be spared this moment in their life. And if they go through it, they go through it having rejected him over and over and over again. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the word of God says. God is not enjoying this, but as a holy God, he is right and he is just and he is correct in doing what he's doing. And you and I, even as God's followers, we have to embrace that. In fact... In this verse, it talks about the judgment of God being righteous. We are also reminded that God is not just just. He, again, is the eternal one, and he is the holy one. For it says, you are just, you are the one who is and who was, you are the holy one because you have passed these judgments. His holiness requires, demands that he bring judgment upon sin in the sinful world, and let's even think about it from a creation standpoint, from a physical earth standpoint. What's what's Paul say in the book of Romans that even this earth is under the curse of sin itself, and it is groaning. And we know that. Why do we see, you know, continual upheaval in our in our world today with natural disasters and things like that. And why do we see extremes coming? It's because the earth is groaning and wants to get out of the burden of being under a curse itself. God never meant for the earth to act the way it's acting. Remember back in that paradise in that garden that one day you and I will go back to one day because Jesus said to the thief of the cross today you'll be with me in paradise and you and I are going to be enjoying paradise one day as well that that paradise was a perfect environment unstained, unpolluted by sin and by anything sinful in it. It was exactly what God wanted and desired for his creation for all time. But when sin entered in, it not just affected mankind, it affected this earth as well. And one day, God's going to reverse that. In fact, even in the animal kingdom, we see if you study the prophets in the Old Testament, we find out crazy things like during the millennial kingdom, the lion and the lamb will be able to lie down together because God will take away that natural. Animosity. The Bible even says that babies born during the millennial kingdom will be able to lie over the hole of an asp or a snake and and it'll be okay because the snake will not harm them any longer. It's going to be a time that it's going to blow our minds because it's going to go back to the paradise that God always desired it to be. But we know that the earth is far from a paradise today in so many ways. And God is going to remove all the vestiges of sin and all of that, and going to get rid of it and purify it and make it what he wants it to be once and for all. He is just. He is the one who is and who, is, who was. He is the holy one, the holy other one. There is no one else like God, and he is perfectly correct in doing what he's doing. But notice also in verse 6, not only is his judgment righteous, his judgment is retributive. I can't even say it, meaning simply that through his judgment, he is vindicating his own people, and that's important too. Remember, we said that God is responding in his judgment to the prayers of his people to vindicate them, in a sense, for their suffering. And notice then what it says in verse 6. He's also judging because they, the earth dwellers, those who worship the beast and the beast himself, poured out the blood of your saints and prophets. So you've given them blood to drink. They got what they deserved. His judgment is not only righteous, it is retributive. It vindicates his people who cried out, how long, O Lord, before you avenge us? Because they martyred us because of our faith in you. In fact, that's why even Paul says to us today in Romans chapter 12, he tells each one of us, do not avenge yourselves, but give place to God's wrath. For God said, I will avenge. I will vindicate one day. Let let it up to me. Don't take it upon yourself to be judge, jury, and executioner. I'll take care of those who've dealt with wrongly with you one day i'll settle all the accounts i'm the one who will bring just judgment leave that to me rest in me and that's what we find out here in revelation chapter 16. so the first bowl god sends a plague the second bowl god will destroy the seas the third bowl god will ruin the springs the fourth bowl god will send pain god will send pain Then the fourth angel, verse 8, poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was permitted to scorch people with fire. We think it gets hot in Phoenix. I'm telling you, this this is going to be unlike any heat that people have ever experienced on earth. Notice, thus, verse 9, people were scorched by the terrible heat. And in response, what will men do? Yet they blasphemed, they cursed, they slandered the name of God, who has ruling authority over these plagues, and they would not repent and give him glory. No. Mercy never brought them to him, and neither does judgment. See, there's people today warped in their thinking, say, well, if God was just more active, if God just would, you know, just all all of a sudden just send this and send that and, and be more like the Old Testament, people would just, you know, they would just straighten up. No, no, because man's heart is hard. And it's a miracle that any of us turn to Christ. That's a miracle when you and I turn to the Lord in faith. And I love what John is also given in verse 7, again, as as a reminder of who God is. And we've got to always come back to that. I heard the altar reply, yes, Lord God, the God who has authority, the all-powerful God, the God who has the power, your judgments are true and just. God has the authority, the power, the character, and the integrity to judge the earth. No one else does. No one else does. But God does. God does. And we are reminded of that throughout this chapter. In all of our life, even right now, all that we go through on this earth, all that we go through as Christians, all that God allows to come in our lives, we've got to come back to who God is. God is just. God is the one who is and who was and who is to come. God is holy. God is the Lord God. God is the all-powerful God. God. We're going to see this later on, the one who is in absolute control. Again, going back to what Nicole prayed, that's why we can rest in him. That's why we can be stable in him. That's why we can be secure in him, because no one else has total control of the universe, but God does, and we're in his hands. No one else's. As his people. His judgments are true and just. And by the way, on the flip side of the negative, I want you to begin to think about that as a Christian. That also means that when you and I get to glory and God begins to reward his servants, that God is going to give us exactly what we deserve for our faithful service here on earth, and he doesn't miss a thing, which is why Jesus said, you even, I won't miss the fact that you gave a cup of cold water in my name to help somebody. In other words, here's the deal. Many even of the things that you and I did that God will reward us for one day were so Minuscule in our own minds, so minor to us that we will forget about them until we get to heaven and God rewards us for them. We'll go, I did that? I don't even remember doing that. But God remembers. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible that reminds us that God remembers. It's the book of Zechariah. His name means God remembers. God doesn't forget a thing. And so, as you and I may be looking horror at all the things that's going to happen because God never forgets anything, we can also look at that in a positive way, that as God one day gives rewards to those who live for him and love him and served him and all of that, that God's not going to miss a thing. And whatever responsibility, whatever role God gives to each of us throughout the millennial kingdom and his eternal kingdom, whatever rewards we get for being uh a faithful servant of God, it'll be exactly what we deserve because God's just, absolutely just in everything that he does. Verse 10, after that, God will plunge the world into darkness. (laughs) You see, in a sense, There's such a spiritual darkness during this time that God now is going to sort of turn the lights out physically, and now the physical darkness is going to match the spiritual darkness that is existing during the tribulation period. Verse 10, then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast so that darkness covered his kingdom. And people began to bite their tongues because of their pain, the pain that came from the first plague. Notice again, they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their sufferings and because of their sores, but nevertheless, they still refuse to repent of their deeds. Notice over and over again in this chapter. In fact, we're going to see over again in verse 21. Three times, what's the response of people? They blaspheme the name of God. They curse him. They slander him. They refuse, verse 9, to give him glory, and here they refuse to repent. By the way, Revelation sixteen eleven is the last time in the book of Revelation that you see the reference to man refusing to repent because the end's about ready to come. They don't have another opportunity after that. Just like that day that God shut the door on the ark and the ark was closed for good and the rains came and everyone outside that ark wasn't safe because the only safety was inside that ark, one day the end's going to come, and human beings are not going to have another opportunity. Because unlike what some theologies and some churches and some religions believe, there is no opportunity to accept Christ on that side of death. Only on this side, only on earth, as long as we breathe, then we have opportunity. There we do not. Our destiny for all of eternity is sealed on this side of glory, not on that side. So God will plunge the world into darkness. And then, verse 12, God will utilize evil spirits. Remember, God is the Lord of hosts, meaning everything that he ever created is at his disposal to use as he pleases as the Lord God, as the Holy One, right? So God even uses evil spirits to do his own bidding when he needs to. So notice the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and dried up its water to prepare the way for the kings from the east. They think they're going to battle. Oh, they're going to battle, all right. But they don't realize yet who they're going to battle against. Then I saw three unclean spirits, sort of the unholy trinity that looked like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. These are the spirits of the demons performing signs who go out to the kings, the leaders of the earth, to bring them together, to lure them together to the battle that will take place on that great day of God. And here it is, the all-powerful. Again, my favorite, one of my favorite words in the Greek text, the Pantocrator is the Greek word there. It means the one who is in absolute control of all things is what that means. There is nothing outside of his control, which is why as Christians, as children of God, we should be able to rest in him because he's got us and he's got it. He's the all-powerful, no one greater than God, See what God is doing? He's even using evil spirits to lure the leaders of the world to this final battle that will take place at the end. God even can utilize the demonic spirits. In fact, keep your finger there and go back with me for just a moment to 2 Thessalonians. We have time to do this tonight. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture, and I want you to see it in its context, because many times Christians use this verse, but I think they take it out of the context that it is in. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 10 and 11. Well you know what let's start at verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 beginning at verse 9. The arrival of the lawless one another name for the Antichrist. So we're talking here about tribulation time. Okay, we're not talking about another time in history. The context is now set. This is when the lawless one comes to power on earth. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's why I study the Bible the way I do. That's why I teach it the way I do. Because context is king. And in order to understand sometimes what's taking place, you got to understand the context of when it's taking place. The arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working. So Satan is going to be behind the Antichrist with all kinds of miracles and signs and false wonders in order to deceive. Verse 10, so that with every kind of evil deception, and we talked about this Sunday, against those who are perishing. And why are they perishing? Because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. So it wasn't that they couldn't be saved They had no room in their life for God's word, for the truth. It wasn't that God didn't want to save them. They said no to the truth of God. Now, notice verse 11 and the context in which it comes. I think that this ties in with God using the evil spirits that John talks about in Revelation 16. Consequently, God sends on them a deluding influence, an erroneous illusion, if you will, so that they will believe what is false. And so all of them who have not believed the truth but have delighted in evil will be condemned. Other translation says God will send them a strong delusion. Well, I believe that one of the strong delusions is exactly what we read about tonight in Revelation 16. These evil spirits going out of the unholy trinity and drawing the leaders of the world to battle at the place the Bible calls back in Revelation 16, 16, Armageddon. But before we get to that, you can flip back now to Revelation 16. Look at verse 15. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking. And Jesus says in verse 15, look, I will come Like a thief. By the way, interesting, in the original, this phrase, I will come, is literally in the present tense. He's saying, I'm on my way. Now, think about that. Even 2,000 years ago, from Jesus' perspective, Jesus is telling his people, I'm already on my way. I think that should say something to us. And the only way he becomes a thief by his coming is for those who are not expecting him to come, which is why then he says, blessed, which simply means fortunate or favored by God, is the one who stays alert, who is vigilant, who is attentive to what is going on, especially at this time during the tribulation. Again, in the context of what we're doing, but we could apply it to our day and age and say, We also are called to be vigilant and attentive to the time in which we live and what we see going on around us so that we don't get caught off guard as the children of God. And then he gives a strange illustration. He says, so that you don't lose your clothes and walk around naked and in a shameful condition. What's that all about? Well, back in ancient times, The Jews would send watchmen out on the towers and around the cities to watch and guard the city. If those watchmen fell asleep, you know what their punishment was? Their clothes were taken from them and burned because they fell asleep at their post. Now, obviously, they were able to then get dressed again, but I think that this may be a reference to why Jesus is saying, so don't get caught in a sense, I would say it this way. This is, this is a phrase I was brought up in. Jesus saying, stay alert so you're going to get caught with your pants down. That's what Jesus is saying here. Okay? Be vigilant. And then verse 16. So the spirits, the evil spirits, gathered the kings who are going to be under this delusion that, yeah, this is what we need to do. We need to go fight one another at this place called Armageddon in Hebrew. By the way, when Napoleon saw this place, he said this would be the greatest battlefield he's ever seen on earth. Interestingly, this place of Megiddo is 80 miles north of Jerusalem, but only, only 11 miles south of Nazareth. In other words, the closest town of any consequence or city to the final battle is the place where Jesus grew up. I think that's interesting to me. He could have picked anywhere on earth to have this battle and to gather the armies of the world, obviously, but he gathered them closest to Nazareth, that place that everybody said, what good can come from Nazareth? Well, the final battle of the world is going to be fought near that little town that Jesus grew up in. And we'll close with this, verse 17 through the rest of the chapter. God will end with incredible signs. Finally, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple again from the throne, God's voice, saying, it is done. You remember a similar phrase that Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. It's done. It's the end as we know it. No more opportunity after this. This is the final thing. You see, the end is in God's hands. God's the one that brings the end of the world as we know it about. It's all under his control and his direction and his plan. And then there were the lightnings and the roaring and the crashes of thunder and a tremendous earthquake, an earthquake unequaled since humanity has been on earth. So tremendous was that earthquake that the great city the city of jerusalem was split into three parts and the cities of the nations collapsed see i think jerusalem by splitting into three parts is actually setting itself up for the millennial kingdom and that city will be enhanced by the splitting of it in three parts but notice the cities of the kingdoms of the antichrist they will be crushed they will be collapsed so that babylon sort of the capital city or the hub of Antichrist's kingdom that great was remembered before God and was given the cup filled with the wine made from God's furious wrath. And every island fled away. No mountains could be found. Wow. I mean, again, you begin to think about the power of God to be able to do this. Gigantic hailstones weighing about what? A hundred pounds? Supernatural hail, can I tell you? The largest hailstone I think ever discovered on earth was two pounds, a hundred pounds. Can you imagine the damage that a hundred-pound hailstones are going to cause upon the earth? But notice again the result. They blasphemed, same as before, God because of the plague of hail since it was so horrendous. Men will shake their fist in the face of God and curse his name to the very end instead of turning And repenting and softening their heart we could come away from a chapter like this and go Wow a day like that's coming to the earth absolutely it is but you and I because of our faith in Christ are never gonna have to walk through that day we're gonna be in glory we're gonna be in glory and we need to take away from a chapter like this just again So, so thankful, God, that you saved me. And I'll never have to face your wrath because the wrath that I deserved was poured out upon your son, Jesus. He took the wrath that I deserved upon himself. The one who knew no sin became sin for each of us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And this chapter also should just stir us to pray for those that don't know Christ yet, to take any opportunity we can to share Christ with those that don't know, because he's the only answer. He's the only hope. He's the ark of safety. He's the only one that can prevent this terrible day from coming upon those that are left on the earth. We have a glorious destiny awaiting us, we have been so blessed, so favored, so fortunate because of our faith in Christ. And I hope that that will stir within us worship. And I can't help but think that I know for me, I'm, I'm going to go away from here tonight. And I'm going to be singing those songs we sang for the rest of tonight and into tomorrow and the rest of this week till we meet on Sunday and hear more songs that I can sing again. Because we should be worshiping the Lord, it should be a lifestyle because we have so much to worship him about. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you tonight for your salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. We thank you, God, for heaven, for a place that you're preparing for each of us. We thank you for the hope that we have, God, that one day you yourself, the Lord, is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet you together in the clouds and and to be forever together in glory. Oh, God. May we live, Lord, to love you and serve you for who you are and all that you are to us, God. And may we live with a burden for those that don't know you, God. May our church be a light. May our lives be a light for you, God, to draw people to Jesus, to live in such a way, God, that they want to know about our Savior that we live so distinctively and and live in such a way, God, that that we live as salt, wanting to create a thirst for, for who we have in our lives and for what we have through you, God. May we take these last few years, Lord, that we have, these precious years we have left on this earth, and may we live it to the fullest, God, going into glory for all it's worth, I thank you, God, for each of these folks that come each week to the Oasis on Wednesday night, for those that that view from home, Lord, so faithfully. And I pray, God, that you would bless them for their attendance and, and their faithfulness, God, in tuning in. God, I just pray that you would continue to move hearts and stir hearts and work on us as a church, God, so that you can make us, Lord, all that you want us to be before we see you face to face. These things we pray in Jesus' blessed name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.